Over this series, uh, this winter series, we're talking about focusing on the small things in life. Sometimes we, when we live in this go big or go home culture, we tend to you know, expect God to, to come in this, these big ways. And, and last week we talked about God coming in the silence, in the, the small uh, silence of calling Elijah out of the cave. And today we're going to talk about touch. Now, I've had an interesting relationship with touch. Many of you have probably the same way. You ever go on a road trip with eight of your siblings in a one-station wagon with three in the way back, four in the middle, and three in the front, two car top carriers, and every bit of luggage that you possibly have? What do you think my parents heard over and over and over and over again? That was one. What's the other one? Stop touching me. She's touching me. He's touching me. Mom, we used to go crazy with this stuff. Actually, my dad would stop the car, get us out of the car. He would drive about 200 yards down the interstate, and we'd have to run after him <laughs> just to get the energy out. We were crazy with one another. We actually did this game where we tried to get as close to each other's face without touching you. Because if they, like if my sister Anna, which I love doing this too, I'd get so close and she'd go, Mom, Dad, and i go, I'm not even touching you. I'm not even, but I was right there. We were so annoying. I try to be that same way to my sister today, and she's 50. <laughs> she's 51. That's what she is. And then later on in life, I grew up, I went to college, and I, in the summers, I worked at a Bible camp. And at Bible camp, you learn good touch, bad touch, right? Red, you know, red flag and green flag and all these kinds of things, because that's kind of the world that we live in. And then later on, in some of my psychology courses in college, um, I learned that it's in some cases, there are people who are having such a, a kind of a, a tough moment that all you need to do is come alongside them and put a hand on their shoulder, or put a hand on their knee, and they begin to calm down. Did you know that in today's world you can, you can pay for hugs? You can pay for hugs. Ten to eighty dollars an hour you can pay for a cuddle. And there's nothing going on. There's no fancy things on it. It's just a cuddle. You can even have a cuddle party at your house. Charge people ten to fifty dollars. That's how touch is so needed in our culture. I remember the thrill the anticipation and the thrill the first time I held my wife's hand, thinking about it. Am I going to go for it? Am I going to go for it? Yeah, and she didn't pull her hand away. That was awesome. She pulls her hand away now. <laughs> my love language is physical touch. Hers is not. So I got to deal with that for the rest of my life. Yeah, it's good stuff. One of the other things that I experienced about touch is that my dad, who was a pastor, would take us to nursing homes. And back in those days, we didn't have like these retirement communities that, you know, were actually pretty cool. They had, you know, hallways and hallways and hallways of just rooms with people in beds. And not all these people had family that were close by, and not all these people had family that would come visit. And so my dad would spend time in these nursing homes and he'd bring the kids. He'd bring me, my brother, and my sister. So that when we got into these rooms, there was these, this, this elderly person who maybe hadn't held the hand of a young person in a really long time could reach out and grab our hand and hold on. And they did. And they held on. And it 
freaked me out. I didn't realize when I was 9, 10, 11 years old that this would be a healing moment for these people. Touch can do so much. But one area, especially in our Hebrew scriptures, as you read, that was off limits to touch was in touching God. Human beings were not allowed to touch God, not allowed to reach out, not allowed to touch. You died if you touched a God. In some ways, you couldn't even look at God. But God and Jesus changed that whole reality. God became human. And in that humanness became available to touch. Actually, in the story of Jesus, Jesus is born. Jesus moves through his ministry. He is uh, sacrificed. He is raised from the dead. And he comes to his disciples. And there's one guy named Thomas. We know him as Doubting Thomas. I kind of think of him as normal Thomas. But Thomas doesn't believe that Jesus has been resurrected from the dead. He can't believe it. And what does Jesus say? Thomas, come and touch. Come and touch my wounds. Come and touch my side. And in the scripture today that we have up on the screens, we have this story. The story of this unclean woman who comes through all the odds and touches Jesus. Now there was a woman who had been suffering from hemorrhages for 12 years. And though she had spent all she had on physicians, she would spent all her money trying to heal herself. She, no one could cure her. She came up behind Jesus and touched the fringe of his clothes. And immediately her hemorrhage stopped. Then Jesus asked, Who touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowd surround you and press on you. Peter is always this interesting guy, right? Hey, Jesus, you got a lot of people around you. Everybody's touching you. But Jesus said, Nope, someone touched me in a different way. Someone touched me for I noticed that power had gone out for me. When the woman saw that she could not remain hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him. She declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. He said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. So much is going on here. A lot is happening in this whole situation. Now, I want you to understand something about unclean and clean. This isn't the idea that she's unclean like she needs a shower or a bath, right? This is not your kid rolling around in the dirt and he's not clean and you've got to put him in the, in the shower. This is a woman who was kept, she was, she was clean, but she had a condition that involved blood. Now, we don't have the same kind of understanding of blood as the Hebrews did back in those, in those days. The science is a little bit different for us. But in those days, blood was God's. It was, it was God's possession. It was the life force of anything of animals and of human beings. You didn't mess around with blood. It was precious stuff. The second thing is that you didn't mingle blood with one another because they thought that if you mingled blood from one human to the next, that it could change the DNA of another person. 
I grew up in South Central Texas in the early 70s, and the word was that African Americans couldn't give blood like through the Red Cross for transfusions. You know why that is? Because if a white person got a black person's blood, guess what might happen? That white person may turn black. That's not the way it works. But that's what people think. That's how some of this stuff gets so twisted and weird. And they thought if you mingled blood that something bad would happen. And so this woman who had this hemorrhage for for 12 years couldn't touch another human being. Now, we don't know if she was married. We don't know if she had kids. We don't know any of that stuff. But if she was, she couldn't touch. She probably had to live in a separate part of the house. She couldn't go to the synagogue. She couldn't go to the market. She couldn't do anything and touch anything because anything she touched would be unclean. That was the law. That was the understanding at the time. The law that was given to uh, Moses by God was a law that was meant to separate the unclean from the clean. The law was a tool to create obedience and order out of chaos. And so that was one of the laws. Twelve years, no touch, nothing. She was outside. She was on the outs. I always think about when I read this story, how did she even get close enough to Jesus to touch him? I mean, everybody would have known. But think about it. For 12 years, she was a zero. She was a nothing. She was a nobody. For 12 years, she became invisible. She became so invisible that she got close enough to Jesus to touch him, to touch the fringe of his cloak. It's pretty amazing. She touches God. The big no-no, you don't touch God, and she does it. She swings for the fences, and she hits it out of the park. The amazing thing is she touches God at the very um, uh, part on on his garment, the fringe, where the law was symbolized. We wear all kinds of different kinds of clothing to identify ourselves. Like if you're a doctor, you wear a certain kind of clothing. You know, if, you, know you, you wear uh, you know, the stethoscope and the white jacket. If you walk into a room with, a, with a, a, a man or woman who has a stethoscope and a white jacket and they tell you to do stuff, you pretty much do it, right? Because they're the doctor. They know, right? Our, our law enforcement officers, they have a uniform, right? There are uniforms. If I wanted to, and you guys really wanted me to, and if I really wanted to, I could wear the pastor thing with the little, you know, the collar and the whole deal. And I'd walk around and people were like, whoa, yeah, that's the pastor. You know, I could do that. We wear uniforms to identify ourselves. Back in those days, they would wear a uniform. It was a part of a garment. And on the fringe of the garments, they would create a tassel. This is Russ's. He carries this around with him. He let me, let me use it. I told him I was healed after I touched it. No, I didn't. I was joking. Church sarcasm. And these would hang on the ends of these fabrics and like these scarves that they would wear. 
And typically they'd be two, three, four. And if you really thought you were really, really good, the Pharisees thought they were pretty cool. They'd make them really big. So everyone could go, that is a Pharisee. Look, the law is on his body. This is what it says in Numbers. Speak to the Israelites, God is talking to Moses, and tell them to make fringes on the corners of their garments throughout their generations for forever and put a blue cord on the fringe at each corner. You have the fringe so that when you see it, you will remember all the commandments of the Lord and do them and not follow the lust of your own heart and your own eyes. You shall remember and do all my commandments and you shall be holy to your God. Then he ends with the I told you to do it because I'm God, which is I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. I am the Lord your God. I was like when scriptures end like that, like, you know, you ever ask your parents why? And what do they say? Because I said so. That's what God is telling the people. Do this because I said so. I don't, even, I don't care if you think it makes any sense or not. Just do it. And so rabbis and priests would walk around with these tassels on their garments. And she touches the very thing that should remind her that she is unclean. She touches the symbol of the law. The law was there to separate, to differentiate. And she touches the very thing that has kept her out of community for 12 years. She touches it and she's healed. She's brought back into community. She's brought back to touch because of a touch. This is what Jesus says in Matthew. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets, but I have come not to abolish, but to fulfill. Jesus has fulfilled the law. When you look at the tassel, the symbol of the law, what has this been replaced by? The cross. What do we look at when we see the cross? We see love. We see forgiveness. We see grace. We see that God has come for everyone. When we look at the cross, we don't see the law. We don't see what differentiates us. We don't see who's clean and who's unclean. We are all made new. We are all made whole by the cross of Jesus Christ. We are made new. It's not about our laws or our rules or our good behavior. That's not what our salvation is dependent on. It is fully dependent on the cross. And many of us wear cross necklaces, right? We adorn our bodies with love and grace and hope and forgiveness. Jesus makes us new. That small little touch made her new. So this scripture text asks us the question, what's been keeping you on the outside? Are you on the outs with your family? On the outs with your kids? On the outs with your friends? On the outs with your coworkers? What has pushed you out of community? 
What bit of shame or guilt do you feel that has created a boundary between you and maybe even the ones you love? Can you reach out? Can you touch this God? The answer is yes. God in Jesus is available. God in Jesus calls us into new life. But how does that work? How does that happen in like real life? Because if Jesus is walking around here right now with his tassels and he's coming in with his robes and the whole deal, yeah, we could see, we could all reach out and grab and touch that physical presence. But what happens when that physical presence isn't here? Well, one way we keep in touch is prayer. Prayer is keeping in touch with God, we use that word, keep in touch. I just met with a group of my friends, some who I have not seen in years and years and years, last night for a birthday party at someone's house, and we figured out that we've been really good friends for over 30 years. That can't be the case. But it is. And as we walked out of the house, guess what we said to each other? Let's keep in touch. Let's keep in touch. That's what prayer is. Prayer is keeping in touch with God. It's honest conversation. It's honest talk with God. You don't have to hide away. You don't have to be ashamed or feel guilty about anything. It's keeping in touch. And you can do it whenever you want. And here's the cool thing. There's no wrong way to do it. There's no wrong way to do it. Keep in touch. But I also think there's another way that we can reach out and touch God and Jesus. And I think that's in service. Serving other people. I had a good friend years and years ago go through a divorce. He didn't see it coming. It hit him like a ton of bricks. And everybody abandoned him. His family, her family, all the friends that they had together were no longer his friends. They all were her friends now. And he was alone. He was on the outs. He was the unclean one. And he struggled for years and years. And then somehow he stumbled upon this, this opportunity to go into a retirement home and serve. And he decided that he needed to do something. So he got off the couch and he went and he played bingo. He played bingo with a bunch of people who needed someone to play bingo with. And then, after about a year, he started just hanging out with people. And they used to grab his hand, and they'd hold on to his hand. And so for years and years and hours and hours, he sat in that retirement community holding people's hands who needed their hands holded. And guess what? He needed his hand to hold it too. It changed his life. All the stuff that he'd been saying about himself, all the stuff that he'd been thinking about himself, all the things that had been said about him started to change. He started to believe that he wasn't unclean, that he was clean, that he could be new. He could be renewed. Because that's the touch of Jesus. Where in your life do you need to reach out to grab the hand of somebody, to serve them, 
but at the same time know that you're being healed, that you are being made new. Because we know what happened on the cross. Let's pray. Lord God, we give you thanks that you come to us, that you show us a way in the midst of the darkness, in the midst of being out, in the midst of not being community. You come. You show us a way. A way back. A way into community. A way into fellowship. Lord God, remind us to keep in touch. Remind us to pray. Remind us that you're always there ready to listen and to hear. And Lord God, open our eyes to places where we can serve. Places that we can go and bring love and know that we are loved. Lord God, come and touch our hearts. Make a way for us. Amen.